रामकथा रसवाहिनी चैप्टर वन रामा प्रिंस एंड प्रिंसिपल द नेम रामा इज द एसेंस ऑफ द वेदास द स्टोरी ऑफ रामा इज एन ओशन ऑफ मिल्क प्योर एंड पोटेंट इट कैन बी असर्टेड that no poem of equal grandeur and beauty has emerged from other languages or from other countries until this very day but it has provided inspiration to the poetic imagination of every language and country it is the greatest treasure inherited by his good fortune by every indian rama is the guardian deity of the hindus the name is born by the bodies in which they dwell and the buildings in which those bodies dwell it can safely be said that there is no indian who has not imbibed the nectar of ramakatha the story of rama the ramayana the epic that deals with the story of the rama incarnation is a sacred text that is reverently recited by people with all varieties of equipment the scholar as well as the ignoramus the millionaire as well as the pauper the name that ramayana glorifies cleanses all evil it transforms the sinner it reveals the form that the name represents the form that is as charming as the name itself as the sea is the source of all the waters on earth all beings are born from rama a sea sans water is unreal a being sans rama is without existence now or ever the ocean and the almighty lord have much in common the ocean is the abode of the almighty as myth and legend proclaim they describe him as reclining on the ocean of milk this is the very reason behind the title given by valmiki son of prachetas the great poet who composed the epic to each canto khanda Kanda means water an expanse of water it also means the sugar cane however crooked a cane may be whichever section you chew the sweetness is unaffected and uniform The stream of Rama's story meanders through many a curve and twist. Nevertheless, the sweetness of Karuna, compassion, persists without diminution throughout the narrative. The stream turns the flows through sadness, wonder, ridicule, awe, terror, love, despair, and dialects. But the main undercurrent is the love of Dharma, righteousness, and the Karuna. compassion it fosters the nectar in the story of rama is as the sarayu river that moves silently by the city of ayodhya where rama was born and very ruled the sarayu has its source in the himalayan manasa sarovara as the story is born in the manasa sarovara the lake of the mind the rama stream bears the sweetness of karuna the stream of lakshmana his brother and devoted companion 
has the sweetness of devotion bhakti has the sarayu river joins the ganga and the water commingles so too the streams of tender compassion and devotion the stories of rama and lakshmana commingle in the ramayana karuna and prema love make up between them the composite picture of the glory of rama that picture fulfills the heart's dearest yearning for every indian to attain it is the aim of every spiritual striving the effort of the individual is but half the pursuit the other half consists in the grace of god man fulfills himself by self effort as well as divine blessings the fulfillment takes him across the dark ocean of dualities onto the immanent and transcendent one Ramayana has to be read not as a record of a human career but as a narrative of the advent and activities of an avatar incarnation of god man must endeavor with determination to realize through his own experience the ideals revealed in that narrative god is all knowing all pervasive all powerful the words that he utters while embodied in the human form and the acts that he deems to indulge in during his earthly sojourn these are inscrutable and extraordinarily significant the precious springs of his message is the path of deliverance for mankind do not look upon rama as a scion of the solar dynasty or as the sovereign of the kingdom of ayodhya or as a son of emperor dasharatha those correlates are but accessory and accidental This error has become habitual to modern readers. They pay attention only to the personal relationship and affiliations between the characters of the story they read about. They do not delve into the values they represent and demonstrate. To elaborate this error, the father of Rama had 3 wives. The first was such and such, the second was of this nature, the third had these traits. her mates were of this ugly type the wars fought by dasharatha the father were characterized by these peculiarities those specialities in this manner fancy leads man astray into the region of the trivial and the colorful making him neglect the valuable kernel people do not realize that the study of history must enrich life and make it meaningful and worthwhile rather than cater to the appetite for paltry facts and petty ideas their validity and value lie deep within the facts and fertilize them like subterranean water where the glasses of bhakti and shraddha reverent adoration and steady dedication then the eye will endow you with the pure wisdom that liberates you and grants eternal bliss as men squeeze juice out of the fibrous cane and drink only the sweetness has the bee sucks the honey in the flower regardless of its symmetry and color as the moth flies towards the brightness of the flame ignoring the heat and the inevitable catastrophe 
the sadhaka spiritual seeker should yearn to imbibe the karuna rasa the expression of the emotion of tenderness pity and compassion that ramayana is saturated with paying no heed to other subjects when a fruit is eaten we throw away the skin the seeds and the fiber it is in the very nature of nature that fruits have these components nevertheless no one will eat these on the plea that he has paid for them no one can swallow the seeds and digest them no one will chew the outer rind so too in this rama fruit called ramayana the tales of rakshasas demons ogres and the like form the rind the wicked deeds of these evil men are the hard indigestible seeds sensory and worldly descriptions and events are the not too tasty fiber stuff they are the sheets for the juicy nourishment those who seek the karuna rasa in the rama fruit should concentrate more on the central narrative than on supplementary details that embellish it listen to the ramayana in that mood that is the best form of shravana process of spiritual listening on one occasion emperor parikshit fell at the feet of sage suka and asked for instruction on one point that was causing him dire doubt master one riddle has been worrying me since long i know that you can solve it for me and that no one else can i have listened to the narratives of the lives of my forefathers from the earliest the great manu down to those of my grandfathers and father i have studied these stories with care i observe that in the history of every one of these there is mention of sages attached to the monarch some learned scholars saints who are members of the court attending darbars and sharing the business of government what is the real meaning of this amazing association of scholars with kings and rulers playing subordinate roles and counseling them when asked those revered elders will not i know engage themselves in any activity without sufficient and proper reasons their behavior will ever be pure and unsullied but this makes my doubt unsolvable please enlighten me suka laughed at this question he replied you have asked a fine question no doubt listen the great sages and holy scholars will always be eager to share with their fellow men the truth they have grasped the sanctifying experience they have won the elevating deeds they have been privileged to perform and the divine grace they have been chosen to receive they seek nearness to those who are in charge of administration those who are adepts in ruling over peoples with the intention to use them as instruments for establishing and ensuring peace and prosperity on earth they implant high ideals in their minds and holy ways of fulfilling them they prompt the performance of righteous actions in accordance with just laws the monarchs too invite and welcome the sages seek out the scholars and plead with them to be in their courts so that they can learn from them the art of government and act according to their counsel the monarch was the master and guardian of the people so 
they spend their days with him for the estimable purpose of realizing through him the yearning of their hearts loka samastha sukhino bhavantu may all the worlds be happy they were eager to see happiness and peace spread over the world therefore they tried to equip the kings with all the virtues fill them with all the moral codes of discipline arm them with all branches of learning so that they may rule the realm efficiently wisely and with beneficial consequences to themselves and their subjects there were other reasons too listen knowing that the grantor of joy to humanity the mentor of human morals the leader of the solar line the dweller in the heaven of eternal bliss will take birth in a royal line sages who had the foresight to anticipate events gained entry into the darbars of rulers so that they may experience the bliss of contact with the incarnation when it happens they feared they may not get such access later that they may miss the bliss they could well garner so they profited by the vision of the future and established themselves in a royal capital in the thick of the community longing for the advent to this venerable group belonged vashishta vishwamitra garga agastya and the other sages they had no wants they were monarchs of renunciation they sought nothing from anyone they were ever content they appeared in the audience halls of the emperors of those days not for polemics and the pomp and punditry or for collecting the costly gifts offered to such disputants and guests or for decorating themselves with a burdensome title those patrons confer on the persons they prefer they craved rather for the darshan bliss of the vision of the lord and for a chance to uphold dharma righteousness in human affairs they had no other objective the kings too in those days were immersed in thoughts divine they approached the hermits and sages in their retreats in order to discover from them the means of making their subjects happy and content often they invited them to their palaces and consulted them about the ways and means of good government those were days when there were sages with no attachment to self and scholars with no craving for power such were the men who tendered advice to the kings as a consequence there was no lack of food or clothing of housing or good health for the people of the realm all days were festival days all doors were decorated with green festoons the ruler felt that his most sacred duty was the fostering of his people's welfare the subjects too felt that the ruler was the heart of the body politic they had full faith that he was as precious as their own hearts they valued him as such they revered him and paid him the homage of gratitude
Suka explained the role of the sages in the royal courts in this clear downright manner before the large gathering that was sitting around him. Have you noticed this? Whatever is done by the great, whichever company they choose, they will ever be on the path of righteousness, on the path of the divine. Their acts will promote the welfare of the entire world. So, when the Ramayana or other narratives of the divine are recited or read, attention must be fixed on the majesty and mystery of God, on the truth and straightforwardness that are inherent in them, and on the practice of those qualities in daily life. No importance should be attached to extraneous matters. The means and manner of the execution of one's duty is the paramount lesson to be learnt. God, when appearing with form for the sake of upholding dharma, behaves in a human way. He needs must. For he has to hold forth the ideal life before man and confer the experience of joy and peace on men. His movements and activities might appear ordinary and commonplace to some eyes, but each of these will be an expression of beauty, truth, goodness, joy and exaltation. It will captivate the world with its charm. It will purify the heart that contemplates it. It will overcome and overwhelm all the agitations of the mind. It will tear the wheel of illusion, maya. It will fill the consciousness with sweetness. There can be no ordinary and commonplace in the carriers of avatars. Whatever is seen and taken as of that nature is really superhuman, supernatural, deserving high reverence. The story of Rama is not the story of an individual. It is the story of the universe. Rama is the personification of the basic universal in all beings. He is in all, for all time, in all space. The story deals not with a period that is past, but with the present and future without end, with beginningless eternal time. No ant can bite without Rama's will. No leaf can drop from its branch without Rama's prompting. Sky, wind, fire, water and earth, the five elements that compose the universe, behave as they do for fear of him and in tune with his orders. Rama is the principle which attracts and endures through that attraction the desperate elements in nature. The attraction that one exerts over another is what makes the universe exist and function. That is Rama principle, without which the cosmos will become chaos. Hence the axiom, if there is Rama, there will be panorama, universe. End of chapter 1 Sai Ram Dharma Vahini, Chapter 3 the basic flaw. One cannot escape from disquiet 
as long as fundamental ignorance persists. Mere change of occupation prompted by the desire for more comfort or the need for satisfying some passing likes will not give lasting satisfaction. It is like hoping to improve matters in a dark room by a mere readjustment of furniture. However, if a lamp is lit, passage across the room is rendered easier even without readjusting furniture. There is no need to interfere with the furniture at all. So too, in this benighted world, it is difficult to move about truthfully, correctly and peacefully without knocking against some obstacle or other. How then are you to succeed? Light the lamp. Let it reveal the reality. Get the light of spiritual wisdom or jnana. That will solve all the difficulties. You may claim that you live according to dharma, but your basic flaw is that your acts are not done in the spirit of dedication. If so done, they get stamped with the authentic mark of dharma. Some clever people might raise a doubt and ask, can we then kill and injure in the name of the Lord, dedicating the act to Him? Well, how can a person get the attitude of dedicating all activities to the Lord without at the same time being pure in thought, word and deed? Love, equanimity, rectitude, non-violence. These are the attendant virtues of the servant of the Lord. How can cruelty and callousness coexist with these virtues? To have selflessness, the spirit of self-sacrifice and the spiritual eminence required for the dedicatory outlook, one must have first won the four characteristics of truth peace, love and non-violence. Satya Shanti Prema Ahimsa Devoid of these, mere naming will not make any deed a votive offering. Acts that are expressions of dharma are deathless, and only those who know that they are deathless can perform them. That is the highest destiny of humanity. Instead of reaching it, people are intent on doing acts against dharma. People everywhere degrade themselves from their status as children of eternity, Amrithaputra, to that of children of futility, Anrithaputra. Holding nectar in their grasp, they are drinking the poison of sensual pleasure. Neglecting the joy of contemplation of the fundamental atmic reality of the universe, they are entangling themselves in the external trappings of this objective world of appearances. One can only bewail that this fate has overwhelmed mankind. 
The Gita also declares in a verse in chapter 14, I am the bliss of Brahman, of positive immortality, of timeless dharma, of eternal bliss. Brahmano hi prathishta aham amritasya vyayasya cha, shashvathasya cha dharmasya sukhasya aikhantikasya cha. This immortal dharma, Amrita dharma, is described in the Upanishads. And since the Gita is the kernel of the Upanishads, the same is emphasized in the Gita also. The dharmic way of life is as the very breath. It is the road to self-realization. Those who walk along it are dear to the Lord. He dwells with all who are truthful, whose deeds spring from dharma. That is why the Gita teaches Arjuna to develop certain qualities that help the practice of the atmic dharma. These are delineated in verses 13 to 20 of chapter 12. Those who have drunk deep at the fountain of the Gita will remember them. The most important of the verses in this context is, But those who revere this dharmic way to immortality, and who completely engage themselves with faith, making me the ultimate goal, are exceedingly dear to me. Yetu dharmyamritham idham yathoptham paryupasate Shraddhana mat paramabhaktaste ativa me priya. What a grand idea this verse, this shloka conveys. This is the concluding verse of the series that gives the qualities one has to develop. It calls the entire group the dharmic way to immortality. Dharmya amritam. The Lord has declared therein that those who have these qualities, those who trust in Him as the only ultimate goal, those who are attached to Him single-mindedly, those are dearest and nearest to Him. Note the expression, dharmic way to immortality, dharmya amritam used here. Ponder it and draw inspiration from it. The nectar of the Lord's grace is deserved only by those who adhere to the Lord's dharma. Simple folk believe that they have devotion or bhakti toward the Lord, but they do not pause to inquire whether the Lord has love towards them. People who pine to discover this are rather rare. That is really the true measure of spiritual success. The same person is king to his subjects, son to his parents, enemy to his foes, husband to his wife, father to his son. He plays many roles. Yet if you ask him who he is, he would be wrong if he gave any of these relationships as his distinctive mark. For these marks pertain to physical relationship or activities. They denote physical kinships or professional relationships, names attached to temporary statuses.
nor can he reply that he is the head, the feet, the hands, etc., for they are but the limbs of the physical form. He is more real than all the limbs, beyond names and forms, which are all falsities that hide the basic Brahman. He is known as I. Reflect over that entity well and discover who that I really is. When it is so hard to analyze and understand your own entity, how can you pronounce judgment on other entities with any definiteness? What you refer to as I and as you relate to the body, the appearance. They are not real or sat. The Atma is one and indivisible. Dharma based on that is genuine Dharma. Some ask, you go on saying Atma, Atma. Well, what is the form of this Atma? But, from where is Atma to get form? It is eternal, unchanging, immortal. It is goodness, right, beneficence. It is immutable, unblemished. It cannot be limited by any particular name or form. It can be understood by the spiritual wisdom or jnana that dawns in and through the body. That is, as acquired as the result of activity or karma deha. The body alone has name and form, so in every activity of the body, you should manifest the dharma based on atma consciousness, that is, atma dharma. It is said that the atma is neither male nor female, neither cattle nor sheep nor horse nor elephant nor bird nor tree. It is beyond all such categorizations. These distinctions and differences arise on the basis of activity. The Atma is incapable of modification. Only one thing can be posited about it, namely that it is. The sum and substance of all this is that the Atma is the absolute, the highest goal, Paramartha. The rest is all particular, insignificant, false, unreal, denotable and identifiable. Take a palanquin. Before being transformed into that article, it was a tree, which was changed into timber and planks and finally into a palanquin. With every change in form, the name is also changed. Sitting in a palanquin, no one would claim to be on a piece of timber or on a tree. Objects undergo change, they are not eternal, they are not real or sat. Objects can be distinguished only by means of name and form. They can be described only by means of their characteristics, for they are artificial and temporary. What exactly is a chair? It is a particular modification of wood, isn't it? Remove the wood and the chair also disappears. Think of the wood which is the substance and the appearance of the chair will vanish. So too dharma. 
धर्मा बेस्ड ऑन कास्ट और वर्णा धर्मा फॉर अ हाउस होल्डर और गृहस्था धर्मा फॉर अ फॉरेस्ट ड्वेलर और वाण प्रस्था धर्मा फॉर अ रेनाउंसिएट और सन्यासा धर्मा फॉर अ स्टूडेंट और ब्रह्मचार्य दिस धर्मा धैट धर्मा ऑल आर मॉडिफिकेशन ऑफ द सेम बेसिक धर्मा लाइक द चेयर द बेंच द पैलंकून एक्सेट्रा the separate varieties disappear as soon as you go deep into their nature the corporeal dharmas fade away and only dharma according to the atmic consciousness atma dharma remains the articles of furniture vanish and the wood alone remains so too the objective dharmas disappear and atma dharma alone shines in unique glory of course for the worldly career the corporeal dharmas are important i won't say they are not just as wood is turned into furniture and used so dharma based on the atmic consciousness or dharma based on peace or shanti or the law of truth or satya has to be shaped into dharma for a householder dharma for the forest dweller dharma based on caste dharma for women dharma for men etc the stuff is the same in all the substance is identical in every separate form how can the substance be used up it can only be transmuted and transformed and the various modifications named differently when used for different purposes dharma based on the atmic consciousness atma dharma can be viewed piecemeal and compartmentalized for different purposes just as wood is hewn sawed joined arranged and rearranged but it is dharma based on the atmic consciousness nevertheless as long as the different systems of dharma are derived from that wood there is no harm Remember however that the furniture can never be regrouped into the original tree Apply the atma dharma in the fields of worldly activity but don't call the worldly dharmas atma dharma That would be playing false to the ideal the absolute Dharma is the moral path the moral path is the light the light is bliss or ananda Dharma is characterized by holiness, peace, truth and fortitude. Dharma is yoga, union, merger. It is truth or satya. Its attributes are justice, sense control, sense of honor, love, dignity, goodness. meditation sympathy non-violence such is the dharma that persists through the ages it leads one on to universal love and unity it is the highest discipline and the most profitable all this unfoldment began with dharma all this is stabilized by truth by satya truth is inseparable from dharma 
Truth is the law of the universe, which makes the sun and the moon revolve in their orbits. Dharma is the Veda and the mantras, the spiritual wisdom, the jnana that they convey. Dharma is the course, the path, the law. Wherever there is adherence to morality, there one can see the law of truth or satya dharma in action. In the Bhagavata too it is said, Where there is dharma there is Krishna. Where there are both dharma and Krishna together, there is victory. Dharma is the very embodiment of the Lord. Since the world itself is the body of the Lord, the world is but another name for the moral order. No one can deny it. Dharma Vahini, Chapter 3 The Basic Flaw One cannot escape from disquiet as long as fundamental ignorance persists. Mere change of occupation prompted by the desire for more comfort or the need for satisfying some passing likes will not give lasting satisfaction. It is like hoping to improve matters in a dark room by a mere readjustment of furniture. However, if a lamp is lit, passage across the room is rendered easier even without readjusting furniture. There is no need to interfere with the furniture at all. So too, in this benighted world, it is difficult to move about truthfully, correctly and peacefully without knocking against some obstacle or other. How then are you to succeed? Light the lamp, let it reveal the reality, get the light of spiritual wisdom or jnana. That will solve all the difficulties. You may claim that you live according to dharma, but your basic flaw is that your acts are not done in the spirit of dedication. If so done, they get stamped with the authentic mark of dharma. Some clever people might raise a doubt and ask, Can we then kill and injure in the name of the Lord, dedicating the act to Him? Well, how can a person get the attitude of dedicating all activities to the Lord without at the same time being pure in thought, word and deed? Love, equanimity, rectitude, non-violence. These are the attendant virtues of the servant of the Lord. How can cruelty and callousness coexist with these virtues? To have selflessness, the spirit of self-sacrifice, and the spiritual eminence required for the dedicatory outlook, one must have first won the four characteristics of truth, peace, love and non-violence. Satya Shanti Prema Ahimsa 
devoid of these mere naming, will not make any deed a votive offering. Acts that are expressions of dharma are deathless, and only those who know that they are deathless can perform them. That is the highest destiny of humanity. Instead of reaching it, people are intent on doing acts against dharma. People everywhere degrade themselves from their status as children of eternity, Amrithaputra, to that of children of futility, Anrithaputra. Holding nectar in their grasp, they are drinking the poison of sensual pleasure. Neglecting the joy of contemplation of the fundamental atmic reality of the universe, they are entangling themselves in the external trappings of this objective world of appearances. One can only bewail that this fate has overwhelmed mankind. The Gita also declares in a verse in chapter 14, I am the bliss of Brahman, of positive immortality, of timeless dharma, of eternal bliss. Brahmano hi prathishta aham amrithasya vyayasya cha, shashvathasya cha dharmasya sukhasya aikhantikasya cha. This immortal dharma, Amrita dharma, is described in the Upanishads, and since the Gita is the kernel of the Upanishads, the same is emphasized in the Gita also. The dharmic way of life is as the very breath. It is the road to self-realization. Those who walk along it are dear to the Lord. He dwells with all who are truthful, whose deeds spring from dharma. That is why the Gita teaches Arjuna to develop certain qualities that help the practice of the atmic dharma. These are delineated in verses 13 to 20 of chapter 12. Those who have drunk deep at the fountain of the Gita will remember them. The most important of the verses in this context is, But those who revere this dharmic way to immortality, and who completely engage themselves with faith, making me the ultimate goal, are exceedingly dear to me. Yetu dharmyamritham idham yathoktam paryupasate Shraddhana mat bhaktaste ativa me priya. What a grand idea this verse, this shloka conveys. This is the concluding verse of the series that gives the qualities one has to develop. It calls the entire group the dharmic way to immortality, dharmya amritam. The Lord has declared therein that those who have these qualities, those who trust in Him as the only ultimate goal, those who are attached to Him single-mindedly, those are dearest and nearest to Him. 
नोट दी एक्सप्रेशन धार्मिक वे टू इमोटैलिटी धर्म्य अमृतम यूज्ड हियर पॉन्डर इट एंड ड्रॉ इंस्पिरेशन फ्रॉम इट द नेक्टर ऑफ द लॉर्ड्स ग्रेस इज डिजर्व्ड ओनली बाय दोज हु एडहेयर टू द लॉर्ड्स धर्म Simple folk believe that they have devotion or bhakti toward the Lord, but they do not pause to inquire whether the Lord has love towards them. People who pine to discover this are rather rare. That is really the true measure of spiritual success. The same person is king to his subjects. son to his parents enemy to his foes husband to his wife father to his son he plays many roles yet if you ask him who he is he would be wrong if he gave any of these relationships as his distinctive mark for these marks pertain to physical relationship or activities they denote physical kinships or professional relationships names attached to temporary statuses nor can he reply that he is the head the feet the hands etc for they are but the limbs of the physical form he is more real than all the limbs beyond names and forms which are all falsities that hide the basic brahman he is known as i reflect over that entity well and discover who that i really is when it is so hard to analyze and understand your own entity how can you pronounce judgment on other entities with any definiteness what you refer to as i and as you relate to the body the appearance they are not real or sat the atma is one and indivisible dharma based on that is genuine dharma some ask you go on saying atma atma well what is the form of this atma but from where is atma to get form it is eternal unchanging immortal it is goodness right beneficence it is immutable unblemished it cannot be limited by any particular name or form it can be understood by the spiritual wisdom or gnana that dawns in and through the body that is as acquired as the result of activity or karma deha the body alone has name and form so in every activity of the body you should manifest the dharma based on atma consciousness that is atma dharma It is said that the atma is neither male nor female neither cattle nor sheep nor horse nor elephant nor bird nor tree it is beyond all such categorizations These distinctions and differences arise on the basis of activity the atma is incapable of modification only one thing can be posited about it namely that it is the sum and substance of all this is that the atma is the absolute the highest goal paramartha 
The rest is all particular, insignificant, false, unreal, denotable and identifiable. Take a palanquin. Before being transformed into that article, it was a tree, which was changed into timber and planks and finally into a palanquin. With every change in form, the name is also changed. Sitting in a palanquin, no one would claim to be on a piece of timber or on a tree. Objects undergo change, they are not eternal, they are not real or subtle. Objects can be distinguished only by means of name and form. They can be described only by means of their characteristics, for they are artificial and temporary. What exactly is a chair? It is a particular modification of wood, isn't it? Remove the wood and the chair also disappears. Think of the wood which is the substance and the appearance of the chair will vanish. So too dharma. Dharma based on caste or varna. Dharma for a householder or grihastha. Dharma for a forest dweller or vanaprastha. Dharma for a renunciate or sannyasa. Dharma for a student or brahmacharya. This dharma, that dharma. All are modifications of the same basic dharma. Like the chair, the bench, the palanquin, etc. The separate varieties disappear as soon as you go deep into their nature. The corporeal dharmas fade away, and only dharma according to the atmic consciousness, atma dharma remains. The articles of furniture vanish, and the wood alone remains. So too, the objective dharmas disappear, and atma dharma alone shines in unique glory. Of course, for the worldly career, the corporeal dharmas are important. I won't say they are not. Just as wood is turned into furniture and used, so dharma based on the atmic consciousness, or dharma based on peace or shanti, or the law of truth or satya, has to be shaped into dharma for a householder, dharma for the forest dweller, dharma based on caste, dharma for women, dharma for men, etc. The stuff is the same in all. The substance is identical in every separate form. How can the substance be used up? It can only be transmuted and transformed and the various modifications named differently when used for different purposes. Dharma based on the Atmic Consciousness, Atma Dharma, can be viewed piecemeal and compartmentalized for different purposes, just as wood is hewn, sawed, joined, arranged and rearranged. But it is Dharma based on the Atmic Consciousness nevertheless. As long as the different systems of Dharma are derived from that wood, there is no harm. Remember, however, that the furniture can never be regrouped into the original tree. Apply the Atma Dharma in the fields of worldly activity, but don't call the worldly dharmas Atma Dharma. 
That would be playing false to the ideal, the absolute. Dharma is the moral path. The moral path is the light. The light is bliss or ananda. Dharma is characterized by holiness, peace, truth and fortitude. Dharma is yoga, union, merger. It is truth or satya. Its attributes are justice, sense control, sense of honor, love, dignity, goodness, meditation, sympathy, non-violence. Such is the dharma that persists through the ages. It leads one on to universal love and unity. It is the highest discipline and the most profitable. All this unfoldment began with dharma. All this is stabilized by truth, by satya. Truth is inseparable from dharma. Truth is the law of the universe, which makes the sun and the moon revolve in their orbits. Dharma is the Veda and the mantras, the spiritual wisdom, the jnana that they convey. Dharma is the course, the path, the law. Wherever there is adherence to morality, there one can see the law of truth or satya dharma in action. In the Bhagavata too it is said, Where there is dharma there is Krishna. Where there are both dharma and Krishna together, there is victory. Dharma is the very embodiment of the Lord. Since the world itself is the body of the Lord, the world is but another name for the moral order. No one can deny it 